Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and, and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. It is so good to be with you this morning. Welcome to our Sunday worship gathering. My name is Bill Rydell. I am one of the pastors here. It is great to be with you, and so welcome. We're glad that you have joined us. Um, but before I get into anything, I want to say, first, Happy Lunar New Year as we enter the year of the rabbit. And so, um, Happy New Year. Um, in, and so, it, today we are continuing a series that is called Dwell, an Enduring and Faithful Presence. Um, we have books that have been printed up. If you need a book, they are available on the back table where the TV is with announcements. If you want to grab one, you can get up now and get one, and nobody's going to worry about it. So, um, and so if you'd like to get one, get one. This has a chance for, to see some of the vision for our church looking forward. It's got places for sermon notes. And so today, we are on the third, week three of the, this six-week series. Um, and so you can grab those in the back. Um, as we step into this today, looking at the future of Redemption Hill Church together, um, a couple of things that I want to touch on that I, I did touch on. Some of you even picked up on it in the Sunday preview that was sent out this week. Um, that this, this week, I spent some time talking with Pastor Eric and Pastor Rich, so the three of your pastors talking together. And we, are, we believe that this is a vision that God has called us to. And we also believe it'll be best right now to slow things down a little bit in this process. And so let me explain why. For some of you, this has felt incredibly fast. And so I want to tell you first, this is not the defining point of, of a vision. This is the start of a very long process that we expect to take at least two years. We really believe that God has called our church to dwell in this place, for God's presence to dwell in us, our church to dwell in this place as an enduring and faithful presence. Um, and there's some history here that six years ago, we cast a vision to Redemption Hill Church that we wanted to reach and reflect D.C., Four years ago, we started to talk about rootedness and fruitfulness, and we had a summer series this past summer on roots and fruit, but the reality is that that was six years ago and four years ago that those things were introduced, and something happened in March of 2020 that turned the world upside down. And so we were a different church in the beginning of 2020. We had a different kind of momentum and things happening, but that's still our dream for this church. Um, and and there, we have to recognize the reality that for some, in some cases, this has become the idea of reaching and reflecting D.C. and, and being rooted for fruitful ministry. There are, there are spots of that, but some of it has become more aspirational than actual. And so I looked this week, and right now, if you go back to March of 2020 and the members meeting we had in March 2020 to welcome new members into the church, right, like 10 days before um, DC was shut down with the onset of the COVID pandemic. Since that members meeting, 49% of our members to this point are new to the church. Literally half of Redemption Hill Church is new since the pandemic. So that means half of our members never experienced this church pre-COVID. That is mind-blowing to me. <laughs> 
And I'm so glad that you've come because we've, I mean, the pandemic unsettled a lot of things. We had people that moved out, people that have come in. And um, so I'm glad that you're here, um, but also realize that that we need to lay some groundwork that, that, and catch some of us up on it. Um, part of the vision that we've cast for the Dwell Initiative is a full-time home for our church, and it will, it would, it will really help us if Redemption Hill can have a full-time home, but, but that's not the only goal we have, and it's not the ultimate goal we have. And there are some things that we need to be better about showing long before that becomes a reality. And so um, the things that we list aspirationally under that goal are things that we want to live into even now. And so this is why if you look through the book and if you've heard us talk so far, it really is our first goal to have 100% engagement from those of you who call Redemption Hill Church home. This is not just about money because, and it's not just about a building. And we need to be open-handed on what the vision is overall um, and we have some resources as a church. We have an opportunity to do some real good as we've cast the vision for, from the beginning to seek the welfare of our city, the shalom of our city. And so we're going to slow this process down a little bit so that we are actively seeking God's direction and opportunities that he is calling us to together. And again, I believe that a full-time home is a good goal, but it can't be the only goal. And I really believe that if we, as we looked last week, give ourselves first and fully to the Lord that the Lord will do the work to give us a long-term faithful presence here. And so the initial commitment date that we've been targeting, if you look in the books, I think it lists it there, is February 5th. And uh, that's coming a little quick, because that's in, what, two weeks? Yeah, it's in two weeks. Um, and so that's, that's too fast. And so we, wanna, we want there to be enough time for you who call Redemption Hill home to have time to carefully consider what God is calling you to commit to financially and otherwise to our church Slowing down means that we're going to have more opportunities for prayer together. A number of you joined us on Friday night. It was a sweet time of praying together as a church. We're going to have a concert of prayer sometime in February. Many of you may not even know what that is. Those of you who grew up and have been real churchy in your life know what a concert of prayer is. So if you don't know what it is, come and check it out. Um, and pray together. We need to pray for our church. If you're a member here, that's one of the things we commit to. But it's funny that you can set up all kinds of events that a church does, but the things that are hardest to get people to come to are the prayer meetings. And so join us in praying. We need to pray as we seek God together. Our hope right now is we have our next members meeting. We'll have updates and welcome new members. So if you've, if you've been through foundations, get that application in because we'd love to welcome you as a member. Our members meeting is March 1st, and we're still hoping to call the church to commitment on March 5th. So that's, what, six weeks, seven weeks from today? Um, that we, we hope to have a commitment Sunday together. And, um, and so this is something that we're going to do. This is why in your books we included a commitment card. Um, you, may, you, may, you can see in the back pouch. That is a way for you to be able to commit to God. And it's also something that, again, none of you were here in 2011 to 2013. I shouldn't say none. I think there were like seven members left who were here at that time. But we did this early in the church plant and asked our members to commit because there's no way to know how to budget for a church plant. And so this is a way for us to come together as a church and make a commitment together. So we're going to open God's word together today. We're going to see that, um, the, that it's the importance of what God calls us to as we consider money together um, and be prayerful and intentional about the use of the money that God gives us. And again, I really believe that if we as a church rally together and give ourselves first to the Lord, if we really see 100% engagement from 
those of you who call this church home, members and attenders, or those of you who are about to call this church home and are going to join us in this mission, it's going to reshape us as a people and individually. It would reshape us in, in what God can do through us, and there's no telling what God can do through this church. I really believe that, and that's my hope. And so today, we're going to open God's Word together, as we do every Sunday. We're going to trust that God, God's Word is living and active, that it will expose our hearts, and that it will, it's given to us for our good. And so pray with me, and then we'll open the Word. Father, we ask right now that your Spirit would be present with us. Lord Jesus, we know that you promised that if two or three of us are gathered together in your name, that you're here in our midst, and so, so we trust that you are here in our midst right now, and we ask that you would give us the ability to hear your voice. And Father, as we open this word that you've given us, we pray that you would open our hearts. I pray that the words of my mouth in this time and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our salvation. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, we are in 2 Corinthians today. If you have a Bible, you can open it up there. If you have the Dwell booklet, it's also printed for you in the booklet. Um, if you turn to week three, we're going to be in, in chapter eight. We can continue on. Last week, we started walking through chapters eight and nine together, and so we're going to continue today. Last, this is the New Testament's most extended section on how Christians are called to use their money and what giving is like and what we're called to in the church. And so last week, we saw the call to give ourselves first to the Lord, that we would have generosity in all circumstances and as a discipline for the completion of God's grace within us and generosity as a reflection of Christ. And I asked you, the church, to memorize a verse with me this past week as well. So here's your quiz. If you're new today, don't worry, we can, we're going to put it on the screen for you, so everybody's allowed to cheat. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you to help me today because I don't want to be up here preaching this alone. Preaching is an act of worship for the whole body, and I need you to join me. And we need this refrain today because I think there's a possibility whenever we talk about money, people get antsy and we start to think that this is just money grabs or practicality. You need to see that this is actually a spiritual act that God is calling us to today. So we're going to come back to this a lot. Every time, it is going to hit the screen for you. But when it does, I want you to join me in saying it. And if you memorized it, praise God for that. Um, if you didn't, then maybe by the end of this service, it'll be memorized because we're going to say it so many times together. And so would you join me to, in saying this? Right before the passage we're reading today, it, it, we have this, that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the foundation for everything else we're going to talk about and, and read together today. If we forget this, then everything else we're going to talk about turns empty. And so, as we continue, we'll see that a generous heart will flow out of outward in tangible ways, that, that biblical generosity begins with our hearts. And then it flows out of us and extends in the way that we see our time, the way that we see our investment of ourselves into things, and the way we see money. And so today we have four aspects of giving God's way. As Paul continues to the Corinthian church, he says in verse 10, In this matter I give my judgment, 
This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but in the sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so there's four aspects of giving God's way that Paul talks about in this passage. He's talking about a, a collection that he was taking up for the church in Jerusalem. Um, we touched on this a little bit last week, but in Galatians chapter 2, we read that Paul went to Peter and James and John and brought Titus with him, and they talked about what the gospel is, and that's when they agreed that Paul was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, Peter was called to be the apostle to the Jews, they were complementing each other's ministries, but on different paths as God was leading them, and, and Paul says then that the only thing that they asked was the very thing he was eager to do, and that is to remember the poor. That is, the church in Jerusalem was struggling hard. There was persecution, they were struggling, people were barely making it by, and so now Paul is making good on that promise, and he went around to the churches that he had started throughout the, the Mediterranean, and he went to those churches and took up a collection to bring back to the Jerusalem church. And so this, we're getting details on this as he's talking about Titus. He talks about another brother who's famous in all the world for his preaching. We don't, he's not named here. My hunch is that that's a guy named Apollos, who you hear later is connected with the church in Corinth and Priscilla and Aquila. And, and so that's its own section in Acts. But these are known people to the Corinthian church. And, and so it's, in some ways we read this and we go, okay, this is details about how a collection Election is being taken up, how, what are we supposed to learn from this? Like, we could talk about it at Redemption Hill Church. Like, okay, every week when we receive the offering, those who give in the offering baskets, it's counted up by greeters who are members of the church, and they fill out a, count, a card that lists all of anything given, and that's sent into an email address and dropped into a safe box here on the grounds so it gets deposited, and it's tracked electronically. And we could, we could walk through Redemption Hill Church's finance policy manual, which was just revised by our treasurer and team, and, and you might go what are we doing? <laughs> but here it's important. We do learn things from it. 
And what Paul shows us here, it is God's word to us. And so we're going to pull out and extract some principles on what it means to give God's way. The first one is to plan ahead and follow through. And so he begins right at the top saying, hey, this benefits you. A year ago, you made this plan. You made this commitment. And, and not only to do this work, but to, you desired to do it. So now finish doing it well. He's saying complete the things that you promised to do and, and plan ahead and follow through. Um, there's an old saying that says that, you know, that we all know that a failure to plan is a plan to fail. And this is important for us because we see it in all kinds of ways. In our lives, we, we can see it in, in practical things, whether it's getting in shape, whether it's financial goals. Um, we had a financial literacy course yesterday that a number came out to to try to learn how to better handle finances. Um, and so, so planning ahead and following through is important in our lives overall, but the same is true here specifically, Paul's talking about generosity. And so how do we give God's way? Well, plan ahead and follow through. Redemption Hill, this is why we have the commitment cards as part of this series. Um, this isn't just a money grab. It's a, it's a, what I asked at the very start was that if, you're, if this is your church home, that you put that commitment card in a place where you'll see it. Stick it on the fridge, stick it somewhere, and that you will, so that you can spend time prayerfully considering what is God calling you to? What are you giving right now? And if you're giving anything, or maybe it's a zero, but what are you giving right now? What do you hope to be able to increase in what you might give? And do you have any stored resources that you might contribute over the next couple of years so that we can prayerfully make an intentional commitment that we stick to? Now, again, though, my primary goal is that we see 100% engagement. And there's other ways that we need to think about that and broaden our thinking beyond just finances as well. One major area is serving in the church. Um, I hear from our deacons all the time about how hard it is to schedule because, and some of this is, is the last couple of years, it's been really difficult. If people get sick, you need to pull out, especially with COVID, and you need, definitely need to step out and not serve that Sunday. Some of it's not something you can control or look ahead to. Sometimes it's just that people forget. But if you make a commitment to serve in the church, it, it will, you will bring thanksgiving to God through the deacons who lead your ministry team by actually showing up for the commitment. And I would like to extend this a little bit further, um, if, I, if I can, as your pastor. When, from the beginning, we somehow as a church drifted into a rhythm and a pattern that to serve on a team at Redemption Hill meant that you only served one Sunday a month. And so it's, the reason it started was because when we first started, we had one service at 5 p.m., and we didn't want people who served in children's ministry to never be able to worship. And so we said, okay, we've got to set a limit here. We only want you to serve once a month so that you're in worship with us at least three Sundays a month, realistically probably one or two because of people's schedules. But, but we want you in worship with the church. You don't, we don't just want you upstairs with kids. Somehow that bled into every single ministry team in our church so that if you're a greeter, there's an expectation of once a month. If you're on security, it's an expectation of once a month. Set up once a month, band once a month, tech once a month. Some of you, that might be all that you have to give. Understand, thank God that you're willing to serve. For some of you, maybe you're ready to make that your ministry to greet every Sunday and be a smiling face at the door and you still get to come in and worship or to serve on our security team every, on a more consistent basis or to serve in the band or in the tech ministry and in ways that you, you commit yourself to that ministry at a, at, a more, at a deeper level in your commitment to it. I can promise you that if you went to the deacon that is over that ministry team and said, you know what, I want to make this my ministry and I want to serve here 
except for Sundays that I can't make it to church, they would, might kiss you. Like, <laughs> and so, so it, 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 consider that, that you, that you might be called to something more than just a once a month commitment. Or double up on the teams, like greeting and setup are not exclusive from each other. Setup, you have to show up, what, a half hour early and help set up communion, and then you can go say hi to people. Like, there are ways to serve the church. And so make a commitment and then follow through on it. And um, this is, I mean, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5 when he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But ultimately, you know, and this brings a question too. Why would any of us show up to a church at all? Why would any of us commit to serve a church or give money to a church? Like there is a reality, Redemption Hill, that, that just being together every Sunday and you committing yourself to a body like this might be the most countercultural thing we can do in our city right now. To do something on the weekends that is setting aside time not for self-indulgence, but setting aside time for, to give yourself for the good of others. Um, there was, I think it was like a, one of the New Year's Sundays or something like this past New Year's, we, it was on New Year's Day, so we were like, we are not going to have a 9 a.m. service on New Year's Day, but we will have the 5 p.m. But one of those, I had neighbors a few years back that, that I, you know, they knew, I told them, like, yeah, we're not, we're not having a morning service tomorrow, just the evening. And their response to me was, oh, it's so good that you guys finally get to have a normal Sunday. And I was like, oh. Maybe the most fueling thing for our souls isn't self-indulgence, but maybe it's getting our eyes on something bigger, on a transcendent reality that can actually put our eyes to something greater. So this is what we, what, what we need to consider is, is we give ourselves first to the Lord, that giving God's way means that we plan ahead and follow through. And so then we come back. Why would we do this? Well, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. So say it with me, church. Um, hopefully we can get it up on the screen for you. There it is. All right. Why would we ever plan ahead and follow through on giving to something outside of ourselves into a church ministry and God's work through it? Because for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. All right, so we plan ahead and follow through. The second principle we have is work on your heart. And so Paul goes on and he says, you know, this is something that you desired, and so now finish doing it, so that your readiness in desiring it might be matched by your completing out of, out of it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And so the, the issue here is not amount. There's no, and we talked about this a little bit last week, like as soon as we talk about giving to the church, the first thing that if you've grown up in churches, then the, maybe the first thing that you go to is like, are you demanding a tithe? What percentage are we supposed to give? Are, is it supposed to be like gross income or net income? And we get into the specifics. Some of you who didn't grow up in church and have come to Jesus or exploring Christianity with us say, what, might be hearing the series and going, what? People give to the church? Yes. We're reliant on it. But look what Paul says here. It's not about a percentage. It's not about an amount. That, that he's saying here, no, this, this benefits you. 
to set something up, to set a goal, to commit to something and to fulfill that because this comes up out of a readiness and a generosity, which chapter 9 really gets into, that this is not out of compulsion. This is out of an expression of joy, that this is a response to the generosity of God in Christ. That, and so we need to carefully consider our posture toward money. Like, what is money for and where does it come from? If our posture toward our resources and our money is money is stuff that I have earned and it is for my enjoyment and comfort and security, then your life will reflect that as as a value of money. On the other hand, if your perspective is money is a gift of God to me that I'm called to steward for the sake of his kingdom, it's given for my good and for the good of others, that's going to reshape the way that you approach money. But if you, if you find your hope for security and comfort in money, you will never, ever have enough. You'll be constantly driven to anxiety because you will never have enough to be truly secure in your own mind, in your own heart. Jesus addressed this when in, in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount when he was laying out the, the ethic of his kingdom. And he said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He says, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other or love, be devoted to one and despise the other, but you cannot serve God and money. And he goes on then. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? I want you to hear this, because there were years that I, I read this, and I read it as a rebuke of Jesus saying, stop being anxious. I can promise you that if somebody is anxious about income and you say to them, stop being anxious, that will only increase anxiety. That's not the tone here. Jesus is saying, Rest. Stop worrying. Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Listen, is, life is more than food. Isn't the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, what will we wear, for, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, so therefore don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus isn't rebuking anxiety, he's calling and offering rest saying there's a better way to think about life and resources and money and clothes and food. And in fact, if money has become entangled on your heart, the fastest way to remove that entanglement and cut it loose 
is, is to give money away and invest into something eternal. If you don't have it anymore, it can't hold you down. And so to give into something that will last. And theologian Don Carson says, you see, at the end of the day, it's not percentages. It's not even what you've pledged in your own mind. You may take a pledge, and then you get fired. Is God going to zap you because you can no longer do what you had hoped to do? Of course not. What does the text say? If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has. If you're living right on the poverty line, learn some generosity within the framework of your limited income. God is not out to slash you. Yet, at the same time, what God is after is your heart. So work on your heart. And so giving God's way means that, that we plan ahead and follow through, but it's really an issue of the heart. So we need to work on our hearts. And why would we work on our hearts? Because it tells us in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. All right, so plan ahead and follow through. Work on your heart. Third, think in terms of shared resources. And I love this, that, listen, if the readiness is there, then, then this is, you know, God is asking you to give according to what you do have, not what you don't have. I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened. This is a matter of fairness, if you have abundance at the present time, you should supply their need. Why? So that it, their abundance might supply your need, that there may be fairness. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And so this is from Exodus chapter 16 that Paul is quoting, but, but what we see here is that, that we need to think in terms of a kingdom perspective on our finances. And so this is not a calling to try to outgive God. Have you guys heard that before? Where you'll hear somebody say, like, you just try, I dare you, try to outgive God. And it turns into a prosperity gospel of a perspective that if you give enough money or enough time or enough of yourself, then God must multiply the blessings to you in your life. As soon as we come up with a way that we are manipulating God, you know you are well outside of anything Scripture has for you. And so uh, this is not a call to Redemption Hill Church to say, you try to outgive God. That's, that's, that's nonsense and it's silliness. And prosperity gospel preys first and foremost on the poor, but it also has a, a rootedness in this place that when we came here in 2010, I, I just didn't expect to encounter it as much because in my head I was like, DC's the most overeducated place in the United States. Like people have gotta be too smart for that kind of like tit for tat approach to religion, right? But there's a darker reality there that, that while the prosperity gospel preys on the poor, it also strokes the egos of the rich. Because as soon as we believe that God is the way that our wishes get fulfilled, we want to get in on that. No, that's not what Paul's calling us to here. What he says is that we need to understand and think in a kingdom way of shared resources, that, that if we give ourselves first to the Lord and recognize the good gifts God has given us and set them aside, then, then we need to realize that some people are given by God a lot numerically. They'll have a lot of quantity of resources that they can invest. Some people will have less numerically, but we are all in this together. Again, it's an issue of the heart and the willingness and the motivation and the follow-through more than it is in a, a strict number. 
And I want to face the reality and celebrate this. For a church our size, Redemption Hill, in the place where a cost of living is this high, it is pretty amazing to see the way that you have supported God's work and ministry in this place. It's incredible that we have the resources to do the things that God has called us to do and that, that you've supported that. And that our church, and our church has the ability to access resources that others just don't have financially, in training, in different aspects of things that, that, that in our city and around the world that people might not have access to. And so that's part of the heartbeat behind the idea of dwelling as an enduring and faithful presence as a church is we want to exist and to dwell in this place so that we as a church can supply for the needs around us. Now in planting Redemption Hill, for the first three plus years that we were here, we raised outside support and none of that burden was on the church as we were beginning because other churches had much and, they, and people and they contributed to what was happening here. By God's grace, we as a church are in a position now to be generous to others and to invest into ministry in our own church, ministry in our city. Again, we wanna see the shalom of this place and to invest into other church plants. You heard Liz pray this morning and, and pray for Pastor Eli and Liz in Mexico City and Pastor Andrew and his wife Haley in Belfast. We've been a part of planting churches in other places. Thank God for that opportunity because that means that gospel ministry is going forward in those places and we got to be contributors to it. And, but again here, we need to think and expand our thinking to, to time and talent and treasure. This isn't just about money. So I said earlier, some of you I would love to see some of you commit more to the ministries that you're involved in or you feel called to. There's also a reality that there are seasons of life. You know, we get up and announce newborns when they're born at Redemption Hill Church. We announced one today. My goodness, the first several months of a child's life are brutal. Like, everybody says to you when you have a baby that young, like, oh, savor this time. And all three of our kids, I was like, I am not savoring this. <laughs> I love this child, but there's like, there's no reward right now. They don't, they eat, they sleep, they poop, they don't smile yet, and they keep you up all night. And over time, yeah, it's, it, parenting is hard and it's fulfilling, but there are seasons of life where, where you might have more time available to invest. There are seasons of life where you might have to pull back a little bit. Being honest about that, and again, what are we supposed to do? Well, plan ahead and follow through, and then work on your heart. What is your heart posture? Because we as a church, there's going to be give and take where there's times when you might have more time or less time and there's times for other people as well that, that all of us are gifted for the building up of the body of Christ. And so we need to think in terms of equality and equity within the family of God. And why would we do that? Why would we ever think in terms of shared resources and not just what we gain? Well, because of the foundation we have. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. All right, fourth and finally, be seen to be clean. So plan ahead and follow through, work on your heart, think in terms of shared resources, and be seen to be clean. This is this whole section, verse 16 to the end of the chapter, that Paul talks about 
the plans that he has. He's sending Titus. He's sending another brother who they know that's known for his preaching. He's sending another person who comes with the commendation of many and, is, and, is, has, and that he, has, he is more earnest than ever and has great confidence in the Corinthian church. And so he lists the people. He lists the plans. He lists the way that the money is going to be collected, how it's going to be delivered, and who's going to deliver it. Why would he do all that? Well, he tells us right there in verse 21. I'll start in verse 20. He says, We should take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Paul is saying, he understands. People get funny about money. Like it's... People, this is where like, the, the major areas that people in positions of leadership fall are money, sex, and power. And so here he's saying we're taking up a collection, and we understand that there's some risk here to take all these resources. We want to be clear about how they're going to be handled, who's going to be carrying them, the processes that are going to be taken. And, and here, by the way, he's asking them to fulfill a commitment they had made. And so in 1 Corinthians 16, the, the prior letter that Paul had written to the Corinthian church, we see this where he says, all right, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so he's saying all these churches in a different region in Galatia, which is modern day Turkey, he said, so you also are to do on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there, there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And so even then, Paul is saying, all right, here's the process that he's, supposed to, that he's calling the Corinthians to do. Set aside something on the first day of the week when you gather for worship. This is why every Sunday we remind you at the, at the, near the close of our service that we worship also through giving to God's work. Set aside something on the first day of the week. As, and, and so plan on this. Now he's calling them in 2 Corinthians to make good on that plan. But even here he's saying, saying listen, I don't want there to be any collecting when I come. He's saying, I'm not going to come and try to make a big call for a, a, an offering at that moment. No, it should all be set aside. And then when I arrive, I'll send those whom you accredit by letter. So he's saying, let me know who should do this. And, and when we agree on that, then they'll take it to Jerusalem. And if I need to go too, I'll go with them. But it's not, Paul isn't even himself going to carry this money. That's, it, so here, what it, all of this is to say that he's saying he's being seen to be clean. Paul's not collecting it. He has others with him, all appointed by the churches to make sure it's done properly. And so we have to have integrity in our finances, to be blameless before God and before humanity. This is important for us as a church. It's why we have policies in place and a treasurer who overlooks and approves things, why we have a finance committee that does internal audits of, the, of controls and, and spending and spot checks things, why we give quarterly reports to members where you can see how money is being spent, what has come in and what has gone out, why we have an annual report and a financial plan that lays everything out as a church so that we can have processes and systems in place that, are, that are, show that we are clean, our hands are clean before God and things that we would be required to in our society. As individuals, there's also a call to be honest, to be upright when it comes to our use of money. In Acts chapter 5, there's a, a pretty horrific story that a guy named Barnabas 
was uh, the son of encouragement. He got that nickname from the apostles because he was a man who had resources, and he invested a lot of them into the Jerusalem church. He sold some property and gave the money to the church. And so there was big investment that came, and so, and he, and so they said, man, this is such an encouragement to the work that God is doing here. Well, then there was a guy named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. Some of you are already like, are you really going to this in a series about giving? Yes. <laughs> because Ananias saw that and saw how other people were looking at Barnabas and said, I'm going to do something like this. So he sold some property and then came to the apostles and said, I've sold everything and I'm giving it to you. But he lied to Peter when he, when he brought it to him. So what happened to Ananias? Yeah, he was struck dead for lying. And Peter said, because you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then they brought in Sapphira to ask her about it. She backed her husband up. So what happened to Sapphira? She dropped dead. I'm not saying that if you make a commitment to Redemption Hill and lie about it, that that's going to be the result. But what I'm saying is that there's something here that in the early church, God was making a clear sign to say, do not manipulate your way into position or power or recognition in this body. This is serious. Don't lie before God about what you have and what you don't have. Set aside, be ready, be eager, but what in, in, in your means, set aside according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. It's about our hearts and our desire and our readiness to be a part of God's work. And then in our finances, personally, corporately, in your work life, have integrity along the way. It is a witness to God's work in us to have integrity to steward the resources God gives us. And again, that's true in time and talent and treasure. So, so a few of you, some of you, overdo it in serving and give too much time because you feel a burden that way and others don't step up. There's this like classic 80-20 rule in churches that 20% that of the people do 80% of the work. Um, and, and so there's, there's reality to that where many of you might be able to step up, but be honest about the time that you have. And if you're going to give, devote yourself to, thing, to something, carry through on it. And there's an importance here, too, that one of the things I love is that, that Paul talks about being blameless. And I, I love that because that word is so important in the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament. To be blameless before God and before men. And th th we see that in Colossians chapter 1 as well. And Paul says, this is the reality of, of who we are, that apart from Christ, you were who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So Christ has reconciled us who were enemies of God and reconciled us by his death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This word blameless in the Greek is the word omomos. It is used, in, in, and it's used regularly in the New Testament, but if, if you go back to the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, it is a word that is used over and over and over again in the context of sacrifice. That you had to find a lamb that was unblemished, that was spotless, that was the best of what you had in the sacrificial work. 
And so when we get to the New Testament, that word is applied over and over again to Christ, that he is the spotless lamb, that he is the unblemished one who went to the cross as our sacrifice in our place and for our sin. And so what we're reading in Colossians 1 is that even though apart from Christ we are enemies of God and alienated from him, that, that Christ brought us in by his death. Why? So that he could present us holy and unblemished holy and blameless, that the, the, the unblemished and spotless lamb has purified us from the stain of sin. That's the good news of the gospel. If you're not a Christian, this is the good news we proclaim, is that Christ is the perfect sacrifice and that he went to the cross in our place so that we could be reconciled to God with the offer that if we come to him in faith and trust, that we are saved and forgiven and cleansed. And, but there's an application then here that Paul makes of saying, saying if we are blameless before God in Christ, then, then he's calling us here to be who we are, even with the use of our resources. That it's God's work coming through in our hearts, through our lives, to be blameless and upright, to be seen to be clean. And why is that important? Well, the foundation for us is that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That you, by his poverty, might become rich. So church, this is the good news that we call the gospel. It's that we're freed from the trappings, from the pursuits, from being dominated by and shackled by the things that our world is obsessed with. That, that we're freed to see a deeper and more lasting reality that we can have our minds and our eyes focused on Christ who's in eternity at the right hand of God knowing that we have an inheritance with him and that that inheritance is, is something that can never be taken away, that moth and rust can't destroy, that thieves can't break in and steal, that, that it is secured by Christ, not dependent on us, but, but secured by him. And if we're freed to live that way, then Talking about money is no longer a tense thing. It's not an awkward thing because we, we can now see this as something that God has gifted us with to steward for, yes, for our good and for the good of others. That, and we, you know, we read, we can pull up a Bible verse that says, says money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's not actually what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil saying that if our hearts are entangled and tied to finances and resources, then that is going to show up and we will do anything to keep it and to gain it. But what we're called to as we, as we see this is give ourselves first to the Lord and then as we give God's way, what does that look like? Well, it looks like planning ahead and following through. It looks like working on your heart and then it flows out in your life. It means that we think, about, think in terms of equality and equity within the family of God and sharing resources that we have, and it means that we act with integrity, that we can be seen to be clean. And so as we close, I want to hear one more time, I need the encouragement from you, the church, to hear 2 Corinthians 8 9 again. Again, this is the foundation for anything we do with our money and anything we do with our time and anything we do with the ways that God has gifted us. Why would we invest into his work in his kingdom? Because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Father, would you press that into our souls today? Would you free us from the hesitancies that we have internally right now to accept that your word is good and true? Would you forgive us for times when we have had pride about investments we've made and we want to be seen and recognized by others rather than to quietly be devoted to you? Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts to Christ. And for those who are here and have never walked with Jesus, that you would open their eyes to be able to see the beauty and the truth and the glory of the good news of the gospel. That Christ has given himself for us and for our sake. And that our riches and our inheritance is in the kingdom of light and eternity. Father, for those who have been walking with Jesus for a while, would you press this into our hearts and our souls? We forget so easily. But if this is true, that, that Christ became poor for our sake so that we might become rich in him, then... That changes everything about our lives. It changes everything about our church family as a whole. It changes the way we think about serving and giving and investing time in each other through our time together, whether it's in community groups or in other times around each other. It, it changes everything as we look at our city and see the resources that you've given us and gifted us with so that we can be present here in enduring and faithful presence that brings your presence to this place to see its renewal. So Father, we, we want be reminded of this today, for this to be impressed on us. Would you bring the, your word back to our minds to be able to move in our hearts as this week goes on? We pray that, that in, the, in this, that you would even now be preparing us for stuff that we can't expect and to do more than all we could ask or think. And so we lift our hearts up to you and this church to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.